Hello and welcome to the Belmont Journal, your source for extremely local news and community updates. I'm Mike Crowley, your host this week. The annual town election is coming up on April 2nd. Now that may seem like a ways off, but there are some things that you should be thinking about doing now if you're interested in running. Uh, the deadline for submitting nomination papers, which are available in the town clerk's office, is February 12th, and you should pick them up soon. A nomination for townwide office requires certified signatures of 50 registered Belmont voters. If you're thinking about running for town meeting member, you'll only need 25 signatures. Always good to get a few more. Um, but you'll need to submit those again by February 12th. You can find lots of additional information on how to run for office in Belmont on the town clerk's website. Lisa Gibilario is here to talk with us today about a $625,000 grant she's obtained for Belmont to work on youth drug abuse prevention. Uh, the grant's from the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And so I'd like to welcome you, Lisa. Thank you. What is the grant and, and how much is it? Um, so it's a drug-free communities grant and it's for it's the $625,000 spread out over five years. Okay. So we are on October 1st we began year one of the grant process. And what kinds of activities is, is the grant going to support? Well the grant has basically it's two-pronged. It will support prevention of youth substance use as you mentioned um, and then the second thing it will do is it, it fosters community collaboration. Okay. So we have, about 18 months ago, I started the Belmont Wellness Coalition. Okay. And the coalition is a cross-section of uh, parents and town employees, school employees, youth. I have two students from Belmont High School that are on the coalition right now. Okay. And so the coalition is part of the community collaboration. So the grant wants to see us working with many different stakeholders in the community to get a sense of what is most needed. So we'll spend the first year um, gathering the data, analyzing the data, seeing what bubbles up from the data that we have. Okay. And then after we spend a year really immersing ourselves in what Belmont students are, are doing or aren't doing or where they're vulnerable, where they're strong, then in the second, third, and subsequent years of the grant, we'll be able to figure out, do we need to start a peer leadership program? Do we need more um, activities? Do we need to bring in certain speakers? But this first year is basically trying to get a sense of what Belmont youth need. Okay, and can, can you talk a little bit more about the coalition? So are, are there other organizations that are involved in the co coalition? Or not really. Okay. So the coalition, the kind of the core members are, um, we have the fire chief, Chief Frizzell is, okay. is, a, is a key member. I have both school resource officers um, from the Chenery and from the high school. We have the school nurses on the committee. We have several parents. Um, Janice Darius comes when she can. Okay. So we have lots of school representation. Um, and it's, um, we have some clergy, Reverend um, Joe Zaro from Plymouth Congregation. Oh, so we tried to get, the goal was to get a varied, um, varied mix of stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And again, we've been meeting since uh, summer of 17. So it's about 18 months. And part of what I wanted to come on and talk to you about is just that we are an open door coalition. We'd love to hear from any and all community members. Um, 
we really just want to hear what people in the community are concerned about from cradle to grave with, mm -hmm. with regard to keeping our youth safe and substance free. So I'm always eager to meet new people who want to be a part of, of this work. So I, I know a lot of parents are concerned about vaping in the yes. schools. How, how might the, the, the coalition um, use this grant to help on an issue like that? So that's a great question. So what we're doing right now is we're looking around to see, to, again, to get the data. So there is an instrument called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, the YRBS, and many communities do it every other year. And it's a very comprehensive survey that asks students in grades 6 through 12 about vaping, about okay. alcohol, about marijuana, about stress, about suicide ideation, about eating issues, disordered eating, um, many, many questions. Do you wear a helmet? Do you wear your seatbelt? Um, have you driven with somebody under the influence? Do you talk with your parents about these issues? So Belmont hasn't actually given this survey in several years, okay. um, but we are giving it in um, 19, in March or April of next spring. So we will get a sense of how many of our students are vaping, okay. and then we'll look around and see what other com communities are doing. One area that Belmont has been a leader in is Tom Brow, the, the interim principal at the high school, created a diversionary program. So when students are caught vaping, instead of just giving them punitive consequences, he's created this program where they can get education about the addiction components, to about the nicotine that's in there. Right. Um, so that's things like that. So it, it's important to go beyond punitive and, and to Absolutely. offer something else. This is exciting news and thank you so much for, for talking with us, Lisa. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. All right. Welcome to This Week in the Belmontonian and welcome back Franklin Tucker, editor of the Belmontonian. How are you? Just fine, thank you. Great. So I understand the new tax assessment rates are out. That's right. Um, this week the uh, Board of Assessors came before the Board of Selectmen. Uh, with their uh, analysis and uh, with their uh, um, uh, rate, uh, what the property rate is going to be. And, and actually we're, what we're seeing is we're seeing another decrease in the uh, actual rate itself from uh, $12.15 uh, $12 per $1,000 value to $11.67 per $1,000. So before everybody jumps off and says, yippee yay, my taxes are going down, what does this really mean? It means your taxes are really going up. And the reason why is because Belmont is the place everybody wants to come to. And the reason why uh, that and, and, and the effect uh, that everybody wants to come here is that our property uh, values have, have gone up by 9% this year. It's, a, it's extraordinary, almost an extraordinary amount of money. So in combination between the, the increase in property values and the decrease in tax rates, we're still seeing an increase in our taxes. That's right, and and, and the reason for that is because um, the Belmont has to, you know, we're under the constraints of properties, Proposition 2.5, which anybody remembers is almost 40, <laughs> 30 years old, 40 years old now. Uh, it, it prevents you from increasing your uh, your the growth of your uh, tax base by more than 2.5%. So Belmont, because it doesn't have much leeway, it doesn't have a big commercial base, it doesn't have other revenues that's coming in, Unlike Watertown or, or mm -hmm. Cambridge, uh, it really has to to hit. It has to go. It has to tax as much of that rate increase as it can. In fact, there was a funny line. They said, uh, you know, they, that that they 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 taxed so much that they left, but basically four thousand dollars on the table. As they said, they taxed everything they could <laughs> find, every window on any table. Now, um, what does this mean for the average uh, um, a homeowner? Well. 
first of all, we have to realize is that with the increase in the overall tax uh, value, uh, overall uh, value of, of the property, we're seeing that value of homes going up too. So, so, so we've been hearing for a while that the average home value in, in, in Belmont is about one million. That, how, how is that changing? That is changing by a lot. It's um, uh, actually going from just over a million dollars to okay. almost $1.1 million. It's actually increased by $86,000, uh, the average house. Now we're talking about average house. There are many homes that you can buy in the $700,000 range and the $800,000 range, but the average home now is about $1.1 million. And what that means is that your average tax bill is now going up to about $12,720. Now, this is the good <laughs> part. Um, um, we now will be also, we had a debt exclusion for the, high, right. for the new, uh, I don't think we call it a high school yet, it's the 7 to 12 uh, uh, school building. And that's going to add about uh, $1,800 after three years. So by the year 2023, it's going to be about $15,000 on an average house. Can you believe that? Um, it, it sounds like a, a lot, but we have a lot to pay for. That's right. So, so just a little bit of time left. Um, Franklin, I understand some decisions have been made about Community Preservation Act funding. That's right. The Community Preservation Act, of course, is a, a tax that was uh, placed on any kind of transaction, property transaction, and there's about uh, about a little over two million dollars to spend. Now, the uh, CPC committee has 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 voted uh, this week, and they've uh, voted to um, uh, uh, support. Uh, specifically, the one million dollar amount fee that that is for going Ale to the community Alexander, path, Alexander Avenue underpass. No, right? that's that's already oh, paid no? for. That's oh, okay. for, that's four hundred thousand dollars. It's already been yeah, yeah, allocated. Okay. Now it's a million dollars. So you have um, uh, the the police station upgrade that's going to be that they said okay with, and then there's two things around um, Clay Pit Pond. Um, okay. And there are there's only one of these um, final applications that's in real trouble, and that is the uh, bandstand at Payson Park. Uh, I've been coming through this intersection my whole life, and it's always been a disaster. Uh, but about five years ago, uh, we got some engineers together from the city of Cambridge and um, DCR and Mastod and the town of Belmont and um, the city of Watertown and got together and said, is there something we can do about this intersection? I was expecting them all to say, no, nah, we tried this, we tried that, it wouldn't work. But we went around the room and everybody was, had lots of ideas. And that led us to um, seek some funding for a proposal to really study the intersection and really the whole system, straight spanning from Mount Auburn Hospital back to Star Market into Belmont and Watertown, and ask, you know, what can we do to improve the intersection? And uh, we had a good consulting study done, a lot of uh, traffic modeling and analysis, a lot of public consultation, and they came up with a plan uh, to create bus lanes in this segment, first of all. So we have, we have uh, dedicated bus lanes between Belmont and um, the Belmont line, basically, and Mount Auburn Hospital, and some in Watertown as well. And uh, the key thing for people to realize is actually the majority of people riding on this bus, on this stretch of road, are in the buses. If you look at if you look at the cars, you think there's a lot of cars out here, but there's a lot of people packed in those buses, and so we have to respect those people and, and respect the fact that they're a lot less comfortable than the folks in the cars, and we need to give them the throughway, and uh, so that's what the bus lane does. We also uh, adjusted the lights here at the big intersection at Fresh Pond and Mount Auburn Street uh, to give this the uh, through traffic on Mount Auburn Street more green time. 
So the cars feel like they're waiting a little bit longer. The queue's a little bit longer because the queue waiting to get through the light is all in one lane, but it's actually uh, going through at roughly the same speed as it was before because of the additional green time. We did have a very bad couple of weeks, um, which began uh, about two weeks into the implementation. I, I think it was maybe November 5th, um, where they swapped out a, a piece of equipment, uh, which is actually nearby here on Mount Auburn Street, uh, that uh, and they when they did that they didn't program it properly and it took them actually about 10 days and a number of tries to get it programmed properly this these new traffic computers are complicated uh, the maintenance guys can't do it you have to bring in the specialists to do it finally they got the right people in place to do it but for about 10 days there it was very bad and uh, that was a real black eye to the project and a perception of the project uh, but hopefully as it, it continues to uh, now we now that it is programmed properly the, the green time is working as it's intended and uh, the lights are synchronized, people are moving through. Uh, you know, in another few months, people will just be using it and, uh, and it'll be um, something that's good and, and continues to work. The bus lane model is in fact a pilot. Uh, we're you know, going to continue to evaluate it carefully. Um, and it's certainly, uh, there's, we get gotten a lot of feedback and we'll continue to try to tune it and make it better. The, the, the second phase of the project will, um, which will probably happen next year, will, as I say, move the stop lines inward that way and contract the intersection so that um, what, you know, while preserving throughput, we'll have less gridlock, less possibility of gridlock, and it'll also be safer for, for, for pedestrians to cross. It's a very, very wide and dangerous intersection now. Um, and so cars, bikes, uh, people will get across the intersection more quickly, uh, or we'll have less time in the middle of the intersection. And that also will save a little bit of green time in the cycle, because part of the cycle, part of the light cycle is yellow and wait and delayed red because of those because there's so many people trapped in the middle of the intersection so we can we can eliminate some of that that will create more green time more throughput for everybody um, and hopefully um, you know a, 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 a further improvement in the in the everybody's experience of this intersection welcome to this week in the citizen herald uh, belmont's online and print news source. And welcome back, Joanna Jubilis, senior you. multimedia journalist with the Citizen Herald. How are you doing? I'm great, I'm great. So you have a couple of really interesting stories this week. I do. So the first um, is about a raised table speed bump right. on Cross Street between the homes of Don Mercier, 96 Cross Street, and mm -hmm. Lucille White, 85 Cross Street. They went to a selectman meeting Monday night to complain that ever since this raised table was installed November 1st, their homes have been vibrating. Lucille said her home has cracks in the walls, cracks in the floors, her foundation, and, and it's keeping her daughter up at night. Now, now we've had four of these speed bumps or raised tables Three, that, I believe. that have been yeah. installed mm -hmm. on Cross Street yes. because of complaints about um, speeding. Yes. And um, they, they, they actually don't seem to have slowed a lot of people down. Definitely not. Um, I witnessed it today. I went there and I witnessed how fast cars are going over that speed bump. And let me tell you, it's fast. So, so we have two residents who are saying, you know, the vibration that's being caused by cars going over one of these raised tables is so extreme that it's actually, um, well, not just causing discomfort, but, but in the case of one household, um, they're pointing to physical damage. Definitely, yeah, and I, I have pictures of that damage, uh, cracks in her walls and her floor and her foundation. It's a hundred-year-old home, but she said 
uh, only in, when this uh, speed bump went in did she see So, So it, it's not been long, it's just been a few weeks, I think. Since right, only since November 1st. So both Dawn and Lucille would like to know when community development will, you know, do something about this. They said they're investigating. Right. And Dawn said, well, we want an answer. When will we have an answer? And Glenn Clancy told them January. But whatever the answer is in January, if, if the solution is to remove the speed bump, it won't happen until the spring because of the weather. Right. Okay. So, so you have another really interesting story. Really which interesting. It's really interesting. Yes. Um, do, do you want to talk about sure. that? Sure. Our town moderator, Mike Widmer, was a reporter when he first got out of college 50 years ago. I, I, I wouldn't have expected that. But. Yeah. And, and he was the second day on the job he was at a murder, a murder scene crime in Cambridge. Uh -huh. A 23-year-old Harvard grad student, Jane Britton, was brutally murdered. She was assaulted and murdered, found in her bed in her Cambridge apartment. So an extremely sad case and one that um, was never solved. All these years it All wasn't these years solved. didn't solve. And, and uh, Mike Widmer said it was gnawing at him. A, B, a BU student, I want to just mention, a BU mm -hmm. journalist actually wrote this story and did a really good job describing how this was gnawing at him for years. So in 2015, he decided, he retired, and he's like, I, I want to start, you know, I got to do something about this. So he filed eight Freedom of Information Act requests over a two-year period to the Middlesex DA's office. All of them got rejected. However, November 20th, this past November, the DA announced that we solved this case. We linked DNA to Michael Sumter, who also had Cambridge ties and was linked to like five other sexual assaults mm -hmm. and three murders. He served a 15 to 20 year sentence. He got out on parole and then he died of cancer in 2001. But they, they did say this that he the DNA definitely is linked to him. So they solved the case, but the thinking is that, that perhaps they wouldn't have solved it. They wouldn't have right. done the DNA testing if right. not for Mike Widmer's persistence. Yeah, I think persistence pays off. That's right. You'll want to rush to the Belmont Gallery of Art by Sunday, December 16th, for their Small Works show and sale. The sale features small works by Belmont artists and also features a variety of pottery from Indigo Fire, which is a local Belmont pottery studio. This is a wonderful um, small works holiday show and sale, and I'm really excited and thrilled that we, had Ned, we have Ned Levering and a number of artists from Indigo Fire Pottery Studio, which is located down on Concord Ave in Belmont, if you're not aware of it. I've taken a class there. It's a wonderful, wonderful place, um, and it's important to support all of the arts, different arts organizations in town. Um, I, I think Ned might want to say a few words, but I just wanted to say that we have close to 50 Belmont artists in the show, primarily two-dimensional work on the walls. Um, everything in Small Works is for sale. This is our very first um, sale here at the Belmont Gallery of Art. We've had sales at Indigo Fire before, um, but we've never had a sale here at the Belmont Gallery of Art. And I really don't think the community is aware that um, that we're here and we're producing this much pottery and artwork. So Indigo Fire is approaching being six years old as a business, yeah, it was started by um, another lovely lady, Suchi Mumford, 
Um, and about four years ago, her and I started working together. We actually partnered, and then just about a year ago, um, she sold her half of the business to me, and so I became the sole owner of Indigo Fire about a year ago. Um, but it's been an awesome adventure. The studio started out very small, very modest, um, but we really have an awesome following of um, students and artists at this point. There's a ton of different styles of pottery shown here, but actually at our studio at Indigo Fire, we only use electric kilns. Um, and I've got about um, a dozen artists and potters, maybe a little bit more, represented from Indigo Fire here. So we're very, like, we're very proud to be showing it to the community at this point. We want to let people know that there's a big group of potters local here in Belmont making pottery, and I don't think that many people know about it. And now it's time for our community calendar with Jane Peters. Hi everyone, I'm Jane and this is your community calendar for next week. Give the gift of cooking on Tuesday from 4 to 6 with Chop Chop Test Kitchen's Winter Holiday Cooking Workshop. In this drop-off holiday cooking workshop, kids will make delicious food gifts to give to family and friends. This workshop is for kids in grades 1 through 4. Register on Eventbrite. Food is just one of many things that brings us together during the holidays. Spend Thursday afternoon from 1 to 2 sharing recipes you love and enjoying some treats in the Beach Street Center's Holiday Recipe Swap. While you swap, the Bel Airs will entertain with holiday music. Enjoy a concert for a cause at the First Church in Belmont on Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. Wintery Songs and 11-Depart Harmony is a loose collaboration of Boston-based musicians who celebrate the holiday season with their annual program of sacred, secular, and winter pop music rearranged and reharmonized. A portion of the evening's proceeds will go to the Grow Clinic at Boston Medical Center, providing comprehensive specialty medical, nutritional, developmental, and social services, and dietary assistance to children from the greater Boston area diagnosed with failure to thrive. Spend Saturday afternoon with sound therapist Joe Hayes at Groundwork Yoga and Wellness in a sound healing workshop to celebrate the winter solstice. Be bathed in sacred chant, the didgeridoo, the shruti box, and a full complement of quartz, Tibetan, and fusion sound bowls. Register and learn more about this unique workshop at groundworkwellness.com. Joe Connolly, head of Springdale Barrel Room, will be hosting a special tasting at Craft Beer Cellar on Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Enjoy samples of some amazing barrel-aged beers from Springdale and Jack's Abbey, as well as specialty beer and glassware. From now through December 24th, the Belmont Public Library will be forgiving fines. Return overdue or build Belmont materials and the library will waive any of the charges. Please bring non-perishable canned goods to the library when you come to have your fines waived. All items will be donated to the food pantry to help those in need. And that's all for this week. If you'd like your event featured in Belmont Journal's community calendar, you can email your event info to jane at belmontmedia.org. The Belmont Citizens Forum is a nonprofit that works to maintain the small town atmosphere of Belmont, including working on such things as limiting ta traffic growth, promoting pedestrian safety, and working to preserve some of the historic and natural resources in town. The organization puts out a bi-monthly newsletter. Joanna Juvelis was there for their latest release. We are preparing to mail out a Belmont Citizens Forum newsletter. We do it every two months, six times a year, and it's news of interest to most Belmont residents, uh, often environmental news, 
based. We all love the town, and this is an effort to bring issues to public awareness. The crew behind me is busily labeling newsletters. We send out about 2,100 with each mailing, and it takes really only a little more than an hour to get it all done. If we have at least six or seven people, and we have a lot more than that tonight, um, it's fun. You can hear there's a lot of chatter behind me, and that's you know people discussing all sorts of things, often related to Belmont, sometimes personal. I am responsible for announcing the mailings, getting people to the mailings so that we can get them done getting the newsletters properly sacked so that the Postal Service will accept them. The day after the mailing, I drive them to a postal facility in Waltham, and they're taken there and sent on their way. I collect ideas and come up with ideas myself for uh, stories that we want to cover and um, then find people to write about those stories, so who are not only qualified, but also uh, hopefully good writers, as well as uh, will present an unbiased view, you know, looking to see all sides of an issue. Emails. I mean, they're just so into the issues. That's what I love about, you know, the Citizens Forum is, I mean, these people just live and breathe all of these issues and they're so, so important to them. We're always interested in hearing um, what it will take to sort of create and maintain a small town atmosphere and connect people with the environment and the historical significance of different places in Belmont. It's a place with a rich history and a lot of uh, nice conservation land that not everybody knows about and so instead they drive their cars up to New Hampshire and Vermont to get the same experience. <laughs> We end our show, and if you'd like to get involved in the program or have news or community updates, please contact Frederic Rigolo, our producer, at fred at belmontmedia.org. Well, that's all for now, and I hope to see you next time.